All right, all right. Hey, Rockbridge, I hope everybody's doing great. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you at uh, all six or the six location, physical locations. And then some of you are watching on your mobile device, on your laptop, or however, wherever, whenever you're watching. Uh, hey, thank you so much for joining us. We're in the middle of a series called A Better Way. But before we do that, I just want to remind everybody that we've got our Monday meetups happening all over our, our six campus region, six counties, four in northwest Georgia, two in the greater Chattanooga area, and I just encourage you, if you want to talk, want to pray, want to ask questions, want to meet somebody, we have pastors that are at all those locations. It was awesome to hang out at Sourdough Cup of Joe on Monday up in Hickson for me to meet some people who had moved here during the pandemic, and so it was just great to just catch up, get to know some of the people that are coming to Rockbridge Community Church. So Monday meetups, all six of our locations. So the question that we're just sort of laying over a lot of our lives is what is the way Jesus would? You know, we've all got a way of doing things, a way of seeing things, a way of feeling about things, a way of thinking about things. And we're just saying, hey, maybe there's a better way. And if we are a Christ follower, uh, we want to become imitators of Jesus. And so we're just laying this question over different aspects of our lives. Well, today we're going to talk about something that is real easy for all of us to identify with because we've all been there. We've all kind of bumped into this. Increasingly in our culture, it is easy to get in this spot. And then we don't know what to do with that. And, and so, I mean, it can happen because somebody was driving 45 in the fast lane on the interstate and, and, and then that sets you off or that bothers you. It, it can happen, you know, because your kids did something and suddenly you're in this condition. It can happen because, hey, I, I watched the news and I just got so frustrated and upset and bothered. It can happen when you look at the state of affairs in our nation. Uh, man, I just get here and I don't know what to do with it. And it's easy to happen, and it's easy to ha- it's easy for this to happen to us because this is increasingly becoming the state of our culture, but it's really reflective of the state of our heart. So here's our question: What is the way Jesus would handle being offended? Right? What is the way you handle when you're bothered, when you're upset, when you're frustrated? And increasingly, we live in a culture that looks for we- reasons to be offended. And it's okay to just say, you offend me, or that bothers me, that offends me, that frustrates me. And, and then what happens is ha- what the fruit of being offended can be division and isolation, cynicism, bitterness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'll just tell you, from my story or, or from my example, and, I, and maybe you can identify, I think all of us walk around with some trigger, Right? And when that line gets crossed, that trigger gets pulled, we go from I'm okay to I'm frustrated, I'm bothered, I'm offended. We go from, hey, everything's cool to ah, you know, and just frustrated, bothered, offended. And, and so, the, and then we, the fruit of that is, you know, we're, we're isolated or we're divided or we're mad or we're just carrying around some frustration. And then for a lot of us, we don't know what to do with it that's, that's maybe healthy or maybe redemptive. And then to compound that, to compound that, and let me just talk to the Christians today or the, or the, 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 the people that kind of follow Jesus. And we got people from all walks of life, and we're so grateful that you would come and ask your questions and, and seek answers here at Rockbridge Community Church. But for Christians, it's hard because there's so much in our culture that is offensive, 
right? There, there's, there's leadership that's offensive. There's forms of entertainment that's offensive. There's things that are legal now that would be unfathomable 20, 25, 30 years ago. And those things that are, le- are offensive. And so Christians kind of walk around and, and we, we're like good at getting offended. And we might even have a reason to be offended, but we don't know what to do with that. And I think there's a lot of Christians today inside the church in America, as you've heard me say, there's been what I call the loss of home field advantage for Christianity in America. That we're having learned how to be Christians like our brothers and sisters in the Chinese underground church have had to learn how to be Christians. How in the Eastern Europe during the Iron Curtain was there. And it's like, what do we do now that we're kind of at the visitor, we're playing on not home turf and not home territory? Because we look out at our culture and we're like, man, this it's frustrating. It's bothersome. It's offensive. And so we don't know how to be the church. We don't know how to be God's people. We're going to start to answer that question today. I don't think there's a more relevant conversation that we could be having because Jesus, like you and I, Jesus had reasons to be offended. People in his day had reasons to be offended, and we'll see how he redirected that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to wrestle with a text in John, John's gospel, John chapter 8, one of my favorite stories in the entire scripture, and we're going to dig into God's word together. Join with me as we pray together. God, as we open your word, I pray that you open our eyes, open our minds, open our lives. God, I, I know for your word to bear fruit in my life, I have to be teachable and open. I can't be tight-fisted. So God, I pray you'd make us all just humble and receptive to your word. God, we acknowledge that maybe we get offended too easily, maybe we have a right to be offended, but I just pray we could find a better way, your way, to respond to those things in our lives, in our world today. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen, amen. All right, so we pick it up reading in John's Gospel, John chapter 8. This is talking about Jesus. So Jesus is at dawn, early in the morning, he goes to the temple and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and he began to teach them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and made her stand in the center. So, and and John, for some reason, is going to highlight this in the center kind of geographic where they position this woman. It's like an interesting story because you're like, man, how did these religious people catch her in adultery, right? So they were looking at her, looking for this, trying to do something with this. And, And so they bring her to Jesus and they say, teacher... This woman was caught in the act of of committing adultery. In the law, so in the Old Testament, first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, Moses commanded us to stone such such women. So what do you say? What do you say? And, and, And honestly, if we just take that question at face value, that is the question we're asking in this series, right? Jesus, what's the way you would handle this? Jesus, how would you deal with this? So the point is, this this woman has done something that's offensive. This woman has done something that's bothersome. She's been caught, and they bring her to Jesus. And this is like, you can't make this stuff up. That's why the Bible's so amazing. I mean, this is like, you could make a, a movie out of this. It's crazy. And so here's a couple of things that strike me just coming out of this story, okay? So let, let's acknowledge something. The woman did something wrong. The woman was caught doing something that certainly for first century religious people was wrong, was sinful, was frustrating, was bothersome. 
period. She did something wrong. Let's just call that what it is. But what's interesting is we peel back the layers of that story and we start to get understand what's going on. And, and I find that I start to identify with some things in the story that kind of challenge me or challenge how I handle being offended. So let's identify a couple of those. The first one is this. All of us doesn't, you don't have to be a Christian for this to be true of you. We all tend to use our religion or our faith system to support our view of what is right. And when our view of what is right is violated or that trigger is pulled, then we're offended, we're bothered, and we use our religion to justify that we're right and to justify that I now have a right to be offended. And you see these religious leaders doing that through the law or what Moses wrote. Second thing that I've noticed is we can all find a group of people who agree with us. We can find a group of people who agree that, hey, we should all be mad together. We should all be offended at her or at this or at you or at that post or at that politician. It's easy. We can find groups of people like that. And increasingly due to social media, what tends to be happening is this is kind of the group of people that we live with, hang out with, talk to and listen to. Number three, though, our sense of rightness is often selective because if we pull back the layers of Moses' law, there's way more wrong that was going on in the story and going on in culture and going on in this particular setting than those religious leaders identified. An obvious question is, you brought the woman caught in adultery, what about the dude, Right? And, and, and I, I, I look at it this way. You know, I got, I'm a person that likes sports. Our sense of rightness is all selected. Has anybody, have you ever been playing a sport, your team's been playing a sport, and the referee made a terrible call that benefited your team? Has anybody yelled at the referee for that? Has anybody said, oh, God, that was terrible. You ought to change that call because, no, you're like, we'll take the 15 yards. or No, 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 we'll take the foul shots. No, you know, and, and, and we're very selective, right? And let's just acknowledge that we're very selective. And so what, what happens when you see that operating in this story, you start to say, well, who's the right authority to determine rightness and, the, and then the right response to wrongness or to offensiveness? And then our use of Scripture is also often selective as well. And you just see that. So for those of you that have a problem with religious people, and thank you for being here, I mean, one of your complaints about us is hypocrisy. And, and it's, it's nothing new. It's going on in this story with these religious guys and these religious leaders. And that's one of the problems, like, when we, when we ask, like, people that aren't Christians why they don't want to become Christians, they don't say anything bad about Jesus. They say stuff bad about us. And, our, and that you're hypocritical or you're judgmental or you're always upset about something. And so that's why this is so relevant because there's a lot to be upset about. And it's why it's so relevant because, okay, God, how, do we, how are we supposed to be your people in such a time as this? Because it's 2021 and, and the rules are a lot different than 91 or 81 or 71 or 51 or you pick your one. Now, the story gets even more interesting because we see, thanks to John's writing, something about these religious leaders. They use, they ask Jesus this question to trap him. 
See, the religious leaders, yeah, they were offended by this woman, but they were more offended by Jesus because Jesus was claiming to be God. And Jesus was infringing upon their power as followers left them and went to follow Jesus. So they used this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. They're already wanting to kill him, and we know that's going to happen. So this story is in the middle of a larger plot, a a larger plot of, of religious leaders who find a woman doing something offensive but use her as a pawn because they're trying to trap Jesus. So... It strikes me that we need to wrestle with that and maybe our own attitudes and maybe our own outlook on things because we need to understand something. There's a difference between using Jesus and being submitted to Jesus. And a lot of us are really good at using Jesus, using Scripture to prove our point, to prove that we're right and everybody else is wrong, but we may not really be submitted to Jesus because if we're submitted to Jesus then we have to learn how to handle being offended, how to handle being bothered, how to handle being frustrated the way Jesus would, the way Jesus would. And, and oh, incidentally, this is not just being offended at what's going on out there. I mean, we, I get offended at my wife. We get offended at our kids. We get bothered. They frustrate us, right? What's the way Jesus would do it, do that? But we do need to acknowledge, though, that being offended in this world is inevitable. But the question remains, what's the fruit of being offended? What comes out of us when we're offended? What, 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 is, what does the world see when we're offended? What does our wife get, our kids get, our friends get, our coworkers get when we are frustrated or offended or upset or bothered? What do they see? What do they see? And and this is where we're going to push ourselves as the people of God, as as the church that Jesus founded. All right, this is what we're going to see. Because what I see in me, in our culture, is a lot of people, whether we're arguing with our spouse, posting on social media, mad at a personality, an entertainer, whatever, a lot of us want to just make a point. And we'll use our religion or our tradition or our opinion to prove our point, make our point. But here's what we have to realize. There's a difference between making a point and making a difference. See, just because we can make a point does not mean we will make a difference. And then we say, what's our calling as a church? What's our calling as followers of Jesus. Did Jesus call us to make a point? Or did Jesus call us to make a difference? And that's an important question for us to be reminded of. Because, I, yeah, I, I, I'll be the first to acknowledge. I think it's getting harder to be a true Christian in our culture, in our society. I think it's hard to be a true Christian in your home sometimes. I think it's harder to be a true Christian in your job sometimes. Absolutely. But we got to remember our calling. And so we navigate forward and we look and we're, okay, okay, God, how did you handle this situation? So Jesus stooped down and he started writing on the ground with his finger. What's interesting is we have no idea what he wrote and everybody wants to speculate and I'll just leave it at, We don't know. But when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up 
And he said to them, here's what he said. The one without sin, the one who's never done anything offensive among you, they, they should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. <coughs> so he, he does something, it, 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 it's challenging, it's crazy, it's totally Jesus because it's shocking, it's surprising. So basically what Jesus does when these, this woman's done something wrong, she's been caught, right, red-handed, if you will, and Jesus looks at the crowd and said, look, before we talk about stoning her, I just, want to, I just want you to look in the mirror before you look out the window. Now, now, what I mean by that is, and you can decide which you're better at. When I look out the window, I can find what's wrong with you and them and them. And if that guy would just do what I think, and if you'd run that football team the way I think you should run that football team, you know, we can just, we're just good at it, right? We can look at our neighbors out our windows and form judgments, form opinions, get offended by the, hey, how they keep or don't keep their yard. We can look out the window at our politicians, look out the window at entertainers, look out the window and easily find reasons to be offended, easily find reasons to be frustrated, easily find things. These guys went looking for a woman committing adultery. You'll find it. It's a broken, fallen world. And Jesus just stops that. I can't fully explain why he did, but he just says, hey, let's look in the mirror before we look out the window. So, hey, before you go off on social media, before you go off on your kids, before you go off on that guy that's in the slow lane, let's look in the mirror first. And then this happens. So when they heard this, they left one by one. And I, I think the Bible's funny sometimes. So see if you catch the humor, starting with the older men. I think the older men are like, whoa, I've got a longer track record than the rest of these guys. And I think they just like, hey, I know. If you're going to put the mirror in front of my face, I'm going to drop my stone and move on. And then the beautiful picture in the story is this. Only Jesus is left with the woman in the center. Only Jesus is the one who can say, I've never sinned. So, so only Jesus is qualified to pass any kind of judgment on this woman's condition on this woman's soul. Only Jesus, because look, he's the only one left. He's the only one left. And he continues to dialogue with her and he stands up and he says to her, woman, <coughs> and that sounds kind of callous, but actually in the first century, that was like, I would be like a term of, you know, it'd be a term of endearment. Woman, where are they? And he knows. He goes, has no one condemned you, Lord? Or, and does no one condemn you, excuse me? And she says, no one. And she calls him Lord. She says, no one, Lord, she answered. And, and that's where we need to stop. And I think sometimes we're all guilty. You know, we read scripture quickly or I read through it so fast. But th there's, there's, a, there's a weightiness, there's a significance 
to this statement right here that he's the only one left. No one is there to condemn her because no one, when they look in the mirror, no one's without sin except Jesus. So it's just him and her, and, and it's just him and her, and, she's, and he's asking her these questions. And then we got to stop for a second. And, and this is where we have to zoom out and, let's, and just examine something about God that's so true that we need to appreciate and understand. So Jesus is sinless. Jesus is perfect. The word I want to use for that is holy. That anytime people are in the presence of, of God and his holiness, they become increasingly aware of their sinfulness. It's like the passage in Isaiah, one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Revelation, when John gets this pure vision of heaven, each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around on the inside. Day and night, they never stopped. And it never gets boring, never gets old, just saying God is holy, 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 Lord God the Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. And so what that means is this. Jesus had every right to be offended because he's pure. Think, Think of it. Let me give you a couple of analogies. Imagine someone you love is being operated on. And if you know anything right about medicine, I mean, the the cleanliness, the sanitation in the OR when you have an open wound or an open incision on a body, you got to be pure and clean. What if somebody just barged right in there with filth? They just like been out farming or something or sweating or running and they barge in there and they just touch all the instruments. They start breathing in the open wound. I mean, we would be offended, right? Because that's like deadly. Imagine like your daughter, right, or at your wedding, your daughter's getting married or your, your granddaughter's getting married, and man, the day is perfect and it's beautiful and she looks amazing, and they're right about to do their vows, and some guy, wedding crasher, just comes in, and he's all muddy and sweaty, and he starts like cussing and yelling and jumping down and knocking over everything. You'd be offended, right? Jesus is holy and pure And these religious, arrogant, self-righteous people bring to Jesus a woman caught in a sinful act. And they're together. And that's the challenge that God has. I don't like to say that, but I want us to think from God's perspective. How does a holy God, a pure God, that wants a relationship with you and I, How does he do that when we're so offensive in our sinfulness? And so this story of this sinless Jesus with this offensive woman just highlights the holiness of God and the sinfulness of you and I. So what does he do? So he says again, you know, he asks the question, he goes, Have they, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. <clears throat> and Jesus says probably the most powerful words that any soul that knows it's not worthy, any soul that's encountered the holiness of God, Jesus says some of the most profound words. And I hope and pray some of us hear them tonight, hear them this weekend at our church. He says, neither do I. He has every right to condemn but neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. And he says, go. And from now on, do not sin anymore.
So where he could have given condemnation, he brings transformation. Where he could have condemned her, he reconciles with her and gives her a new vision, a new life, a new purpose, and new hope. And so it strikes me and gives me reason to worship Jesus this weekend that Jesus is the most right person who ever lived and he's the least offendable person who's ever lived. What strikes me And back in the early days of Rockbridge, we used to talk about this. The most irreligious people in the first century loved hanging around Jesus. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. And people like to hang around Jesus. And and so I think as we navigate forward as a church, as individuals, this gives us a new framework for how to be in a world full of offensive things and offensive people and offensive actions. This tells us how to be in a family, in a marriage, where we're sinners related to one another, where we're going to offend and bother and frustrate one another. And the first thing I would say is this. This is just from God's Word. I think it's for all of us. We need to drop the stone. We need to drop the stone. And and by that, I mean our goal can never be condemnation. Our goal can never be to shame someone. Our goal can never be to put ourselves in a a self-righteous position over another person, another another, uh, member of our family, another person in our culture. It can never be that. See, now here's the challenge. Our sense of offense will often justify our right to hold the stone. Because we're like, I I have every right to be mad. I have every right to hold this stone over their head. I have every right to feel this way. And then we got to remember, well, let's look in the mirror with Christ in the center. Because Jesus has every right not only to hold the stone, but to cast the stone. And Jesus did not hold it or throw it. Instead, he bore the cross. He bore the cross. What a radical change comes over us when that reality hits us in our hearts as the people of God. There's some of you. And if I said to you, what would you do if you were in the presence of a holy God? Some of you today need to hear those words, neither do I condemn you because I went to the cross instead of you and took God's condemnation for you. And when that hits your heart, you surrender to Jesus, you become a follower of Jesus, and you want to walk in the ways of Jesus. And as we as a church come back to just the core, unadulterated, pure gospel, we fall in love again with Jesus. And we're like, Jesus, I'm tired of doing it my way. I want to do it your way. And Jesus didn't hold or throw the stone. He bore the cross. <clears throat> so it seems as we're navigating forward in the ways of Jesus, there's some identity changes that we need to be aware of in how we see ourselves. 
See, I think it's easy to get stuck on, I'm right. Or I, I hear this, well, more right or less wrong. I, I hear that. And see, when we stay in that identity, if we stay in that identity in a marriage, if we stay in that identity in our jobs, if we stay in that identity toward our culture, then here's what happens. The fruit of that is we'll feel superior, we'll become judgmental, and we're just easily offended. We're just easily offended. And, and, and I think it's just been a, a slow, <coughs> excuse me, migration, but a large percentage of Christians in America a large percentage of churches in America, this is kind of where we're living and kind of where we're hanging out. And I, I would ask you, do you think more people are going to come to faith in Christ from that posture? Or neither do I condemn you. So, so let's, let's take our identity another step forward. I'm forgiven, which is what looking in the mirror with Christ in the center does. He has every right to throw that stone at me because Matt Evans deserves it. He's holy. I'm not. I'm the dirty wedding crasher. I'm the dirty dude in the OR, and he's the pure holy God. But he chose to go to the cross for me instead of me. So I'm forgiven, which immediately eliminates self-righteousness, makes me humble, grateful, and then I'm able to love as Jesus has loved me. I'm able to love as Jesus has loved me. Now, I, 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 I'm going to push because we can't just stop here, church. I, I think there's a lot of us, a lot of people in this room. And, man, we sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, and that's what this song is all about right here, right? And a lot of us, this is where we live, and this is where we are, and we're grateful. Some of us are I'm on the right side. Many of us are I'm on the forgiven side. But there's another identity that Jesus calls us to, that is so important if Rockbridge is going to move forward in such a time as this and be God's people and represent him. So to do that, we got to drop the stone, move from I'm right to I'm forgiven, but we also have to know the goal. Know the goal. And the goal is not for us to make a point, it's rather to make a difference. The goal for us is not to just be right, but rather to be Christ-like. Because, see, Jesus, when he's standing there, him and, her, him and her all by himself, he could have just chosen to be right. If he'd have shamed her, couldn't argue with it, she did something shameful. But he didn't. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go be transformed, sin no more. And that takes us to what I think is one of our, if not our highest calling until Jesus comes back, it's our highest calling. So we don't stop at I'm just forgiven because our calling as the people of God is now I'm an ambassador, an ambassador of Jesus called and sent to represent. And I, we're called and sent to represent him. Now, when I think about that, what's an ambassador? <clears throat> Someone who represents another country while living not in that country. So they're not citizens of the place they live, but they represent the interest of their homeland. And so Christians, we, we, we represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
We represent the interests of our king. It's why at Rockbridge, our first core value, you see it in all our, we are kingdom seekers. That's not the kingdom of America. It's not the kingdom of me, myself, and I. It's not the kingdom of Rockbridge. It's the kingdom of Jesus. And we are called to represent him. That is why this series, What is the Way Jesus Would, is so relevant to the times we find ourselves because this is where we live. Yes, we're forgiven, but we're also ambassadors of the one who forgave us. Listen to this incredible passage. Worship the God who makes this passage come alive. From 2 Corinthians, we see, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's what happened to our woman, right, that was caught red-handed. Go and sin no more. You're new. You're changed. You're not condemned. You're free. You're saved. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. <coughs> Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And now, what has he given us? The ministry of not condemnation, not the ministry of self-righteousness, but the ministry of reconciliation, that we are to help people who are worthy to be condemned. We are to help them find the God who doesn't want to condemn, but rather took their condemnation. Because in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And then he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. That's our message. That's our example. That's our story. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us. And so we plead. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you're here today and you need to get right with God, you know what you have to do? Nothing. Just receive Jesus Christ in your place. He died for you. He rose for you. He wants to put his spirit in you. He wants to adopt you. He wants to save you, and you can just say yes to him right now. It's an act of faith. It's an act of trust. That's it. It's the simplest thing in the world. There's some of us here today in our marriages, on our social media, in our families, in our posture to the world, we need to drop the stone. We need to drop the stone. And I pray for all rock bridgers here today that we would all reaffirm and renew our commitment to be ambassadors, not for our self-interest, not for our preferences, but for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who could have thrown the stone, but instead bore the cross. Let's pray together. God, I love you. I thank you for loving me. I thank you, God, that there's not a person in the sound of my voice that you did not die for, that you did not take, go to the cross for. And God, if there's anybody here today 
that today is their day of being reconciled to you because of you and what you have done for them. I pray in their heart of hearts, soul of souls, they just have a transaction where they just put their faith and trust in you, Jesus, give you the steering wheel of their lives and the sins of their souls, and they become sons and daughters. God, I want to thank you for the privilege of representing you. God, I forget about that. I so easily represent my, my offensiveness. I so easily represent my pride or myself. God, help me to live up to the calling you've given me. Help this church to live up to the calling you've given us. We are your ambassadors with a ministry and a message of reconciliation, not condemnation. God, may we be faithful in that calling. May we be faithful to represent you wherever you send us, wherever you've positioned us, around whoever you place in front of us. Find your people faithful today, God. We love you. It's in your mighty, your holy name that we pray. Amen.